episode 21 of the Winning Six podcast, official podcast of BehindTheBookPass.com. I'm Sites Editor-in-Chief Adam McGee, and joining me this week is Jordan Tresky. This is the first week, the first episode of 21 that we've had, where we haven't been graced with Ty Windish's company. Um, Jordan bowed out, of, bowed out of one week due to flu, but if you listen last week, you'll you'll know that he bounced back spectacularly. Uh, Ty has given a whole host of different reasons for, for not being able to make it tonight. Um, personally, I think I think he did another King's radio appearance last night, and I just, I don't know if you mean as much to him, Bucks fans. I think he's got his priorities all right, so make sure, at Ty Windish, um, you, you let Ty know that this is where he needs to be next week. There's no excuses. Um, Books need to be his priority. Getting back to the real important matters at hand, we'll we'll take it on from here like professionals, Jordan. This is this is going to be our best show yet. There'll be no distractions. Um, we might we might be done in twenty minutes. I mean, this is this is just going to be information, 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 people. Um, we'll start off today. Um, today being Monday was media day. Um, it's always it's always a fun day just because it signals the return of the NBA. Really, it's when you finally get a sense of that the teams all back together and training camps about to start. We're going to get a real sense of where these guys are at, what way they're thinking heading into the new season, and that in its own right is pretty exciting. Um, we'll start off by having a look at just some of the tidbits that came out of it, um, and. I was going to say a lot of credit, but pretty much all the credit for these tidbits have to go has to go to Brew Hoop. Um, uh, I think it was particularly Aaron Johannes was there for for them today. Um, we we haven't quite made it there yet. There's a little little problem for me of the distance between Dublin <laughs> and Milwaukee. But next year, who knows? Maybe the Atlantic will come between us. Um, so for the moment. Like thank Brew Hoop for the great work they did in, in helping to bring a lot of the information to everyone today. Um, first off, let's talk a bit about Jabari Jordan. Um, since since we last were on the podcast, um, word emerged that Jabari was going to be ready for camp. He was going to be able to take part in close a close to full capacity, but still there remained sort of murmurings that the books were going to be cautious with him. Um, one of the main quotes, and it was it was actually one of the ones that they they ran as as a headline to an article today at Brew Hoop, but a quote that stood out for me 
about from Jabari was he said he wanted to rebuild his body from scratch and not have any flaws. Um, how are you feeling about Jabari with the news in the last week that he is pretty much ready, that the books are going to err on the side of caution, and then when you hear him say things like this, what's your reaction to that, Jordan? Uh, I think probably ecstatic, <laughs> to be honest. I think it's his work ethic, not even just, you know, from his own mouth, but kids said it a couple times now. I think um, uh, other guy, big names like Middleton and not Giannis, but like Monroe, even he's noticed how he's, his work ethic has just been incredible with, uh, just he's been able to come back and stuff. I just think it's just shows you how committed he is and how kind of a special player he is off the court. Obviously, you want to see the results on the court, but you know, due to his circumstances last year, he kind of had to do a different route than everybody hoped for. But it's still like it's still remarkable to see him committed to this. And it feels like he ha- he's been on the team for more than what a little more than eighteen months or so now. I just it, like t- the passion that he has is just really cool to see especially from a team that didn't really have that many passionate players on the team for a while for a while now but it's very cool yeah definitely all the vibes seem really positive coming out of jabari and it's we all know the acl in sports in general it's not just basketball it's one of these potentially career ending or career changing injuries at the very least and um, maybe the fact that it was so early in Jabari's career and he hadn't reached any point where I guess he'd found himself or even fully defined his body there is a chance it could play to his advantage Um, some of the things that I found really interesting are what he said today and when you look back over his summer some of the workout stuff you've seen um, Jabari too has been pretty insane it's I mean guys always work hard coming back from an injury as serious as this but Jabari has taken that to uh, to pretty much new extremes from what I've seen. Um, he, he mentioned today, all right, how the organization allowed him to travel to Peru. Um, and we saw pictures of that both from Jabari himself and I think the books tweeted out quite a few at the time. Um, but he revealed that, I guess, that was, that was part of his plan with his trainer was to go to Peru, do a lot of hiking, and do a lot of cardio work in the mountains, um, which, which I, th- I think if anything's going to get you ready uh, to come back from an injury like that, are going to give you confidence in your ability to come back. And that's one of the most important things. It's going to be something like that. Another, another thing that we caught a glimpse of, and I remember at the time it was something that I definitely drove Buck's Twitter into a frenzy anyway, was um, the drills he was doing on the trampoline where he was basically doing doing jackhammers up and down the trampoline. And I mean, once again, one of the biggest things that people will always put down as with an injury like this. Um, And it's true. I can tell you it's true. I've, I've done that injury and never playing at any sort of level like Jabari Parker, but I've, I've had an injury very similar like that, that it recurred and with an ACL. And the thing with it is, it's all about confidence. And it is, it's about feeling comfortable that you can move in the way that you need to move, that the smallest little knock isn't going to affect you in any way. 
just the ability to go out there and not have to hold yourself back or be second doubting any of your movements. And that's definitely something that seems to factor it in for Jabari. Um, mm. Something else I know we've we've talked about this we've talked about this on and off throughout the summer. Um, Jabari's position is something that's always sort of up for debate, and it's probably fair to say in a lot of other teams it wouldn't be a question. He'd be a small forward, um, but just with the way the books are lined up, and when you've got Middleton and you've got Yanis already, it feels natural to see him as the power forward for a lot of people. Um, it's something else that Jabari was asked about today. Um, he talked about how he's played the four basically through his whole career. He feels comfortable there and he sees himself doing a lot more of it. But a big part in that for me was he mentioned on working to build up his upper body and to build up his base so that he can't get moved around as easy. He said that was something he found when he came into the league. It was tough to guard power forwards. I guess not just, I guess for both ends of the floor, not just offensively, not just defensively, how big a difference could it make to the books if Jabari is going to be able to hold his ground that little bit better with, with bigger guys around the league too? I think it's going to be huge. I mean, that's always been his knock coming into the NBA is that, you know, I think at Duke, I want to say he played out of position because they didn't really have a true center, so he kind of had a take care of that. And obviously he's a big guy, but he's not, you know, a bulky center. So he's played pretty much out of position for the most part. Then you come to Milwaukee where new coach, uh, a system that's obviously pretty tough, you know, to get used to in your first year with, you know, that to have that learning curve right off the bat with not even just the system that you're playing, but the fact that you're in the NBA, for the most part, you know, you just still try to get your head above water in that aspect too. So I think it's going to be huge that if he can, if he's really committed to it, which obviously all points are looking like he is, I think it's going to be a, I don't want to say a game changer, but it's going to really, I think, change the way how we've been talking about how their defense, not just this year, but, you know, down the line five years from now, ten years from now maybe. Yeah, because if Jabari becomes someone who can, I guess, could stand up the guys easier um, on that end of the floor, that straight away helps with a lot of the questions, once again, something that's been going on all throughout the summer of, well, how does Greg Monroe affect the defense? And how, if if all of a sudden Jabari gets really solid, so just reliable option on that end, he doesn't have to be a spectacular defender. But if you know that he's not a liability in any way, that's another plus again, and all of a sudden it gets easier to hide anyone. Not necessarily saying that Greg Monroe will have to be hidden, um, but if he if he did, if Jabari bulks up in size and he can cover a little bit easier, whether that's even Yana switching to the four still and him playing the tree, but being big enough to really out-muscle trees, and um, if they tried to take him down on the block, that, that would make a big difference for the books defensively. I'd say I, I love the fact that the books are being cautious, but that they're still bringing him back now. Um, because a big part in this is something that I guess doesn't get considered. It's the time it takes for a player to feel their way back into, to, I guess, condition for games. Um, there's a difference between being fully healthy and being, being ready to compete to your best in the NBA. And I'd much rather see Jabari play 
five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes in games in the preseason and get a lot of that rust out of the way so that when he does come back, it will be the regular season and he's back at his best. Um, is that something you feel too with that? I mean, uh, it just that just seems like a real positive to me. If you can shake some of that rust off now, it allows him and then probably as a result, the books to get off the ground a little bit quicker once once the real games kick in. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's been kind of um, not the elephant in the room, but it was always, you know, just the fact that there was so much uncertainty and, you know, there's a lot of examples, recent examples too, you know, you look not that far away and look how Chicago handled Derek Rose's ACL and just how that thing was just, you know, went on and on and on and obviously he succumbed to another ACL injury so it made things worse, but I just feel like they're handling it the best way possible, and Jabari, if it ultimately it's up to him. It's his body. It's his, you know, career. It's his. <laughs> this injury happened to him. We can all hope that. Oh, we, why aren't you telling us more details about his injury? But ultimately, it's, a, it's between him and the team because it's his decision, you know. And I think, like you said, I think it's probably the right way to go. Ham has been saying from the get go. If he thinks he's, if we think he can play thirty minutes, he's going to play fifteen minutes. And it's, you know, it may not be what everybody wants right away, but for some, this guy is not your average type of player. He means a lot to the franchise, and you just want him to be able to get used to, you know, it's kind of it's gonna be like rookie part rookie year part two basically. Just get used to the NBA, get used to coming back from your injury, and just get used to everything in general. And an observation I made, it's interesting you brought up the, the Derrick Rose comparison there. Maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but we'll see. We'll see what your thoughts on it are. From my memory of Rose, particularly the second ACL comeback, like, um, maybe the first one isn't quite as fresh, um, so I might be wrong here, but it always felt like <coughs> Rose, anytime he spoke or anytime you saw anything from him on social media, it was a lot more like he was working and rehabbing by himself with his people rather than with the organization. And with Jabari, it seems like something that everyone has been on the same page the whole way through. And that's something with Rose. It just, it always seemed to happen. I mean, he was out, he was out, he was out indefinitely. He was out longer than people expected. And then, oh wait, all of a sudden he's back and he's starting tonight. And that's the sort of way things went with Rose's returns from ACLs. Is that something, um, am I misremembering that, or is is that a feeling that you have as well, that maybe Jabari's done a lot more work with the books, or in consultation with the books, so that there's, I guess, a greater understanding, they're all on the same page, and just focused on getting him back to his very best? Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think, you know, the, the first one is first. His first injury was, you know, a couple of years now. It's, it's weird to think that it's already a couple of years now, but he. It felt like he was doing it on his own terms, where, like you said, it's there's a mutual understanding between the or, the Bucks organization and Jabari and the trainer. I'm Miss River or Dave right now, but you know, just to handle it. Jackie Hobson, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, she. I remember. What was it? It was earlier this summer. She kind of tweeted out something. And then deleted the something about like January. Yeah. 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 But it's still, it wasn't like, I don't think that was her trying to leak something out. I think it was just 
one of those scenes where she even said in the tweet, if I remember correctly, we're gonna, all going to try to get on the same page here and make sure this is what we feel is the right thing to do with Jabari and with the Chicago, with you know Rose and the Bulls. Maybe obviously he means a world to that team too, but it was just such a I don't know. I can't speak for Bulls fans, but in that segue, but you can just tell that I felt like it was more on his terms than the team wanted, and you know they kept kind of saying, "Oh well, he can return for the playoffs." And he could return now, and you know, I just kept going on and on, and then you know, obviously another catastrophic injury happened for him. But yeah, I feel like it's there's a mutual understanding between the team, Jabari, uh, the training staff or medical staff, and it that's honestly the way to go. Yeah, and I think that's an important difference that the Rose recovery on both occasions it became a saga because of what people were saying, where. Yeah. If we were to call the Jabari recovery a saga, it was more because of what people weren't saying. And that, that in its own way was refreshing. People were keeping their cards close to their chest. They weren't putting any undue pressure on, on Jabari. Um, it, it all seemed to be focused on the player. And with an injury like that, it's only, it's only right because this isn't any sort of minor injury. It's not even a clean break that's just going to heal over with, with rehab and with time when you do any sort of really bad ligament damage and particularly to the knees as a basketball player, it has to be taken care of correctly. Jabari himself put it today as, as being a traumatizing event. And there's no doubt that that's what it is, particularly when you're the second overall pick in your rookie season and you're finally getting to live out your dream. And there you go. The season's over. And, but he's talked a lot. I think he spoke about it even a couple of days ago somewhere as well about how, it's there's an easy way out of that to take sort of the pessimistic route, but one way or another, it's gonna it changes the way you are as a person. And from everything we're hearing from Jabari, he's he's coming out on the right side. He's a better person, hopefully a better player again. Um, he was doing pretty well in both of those categories, so that that can come true. <laughs> that that'll be good news for the books. Um, some other so well, I was one more thing before yeah. we move on. I was just gonna say is, you know, you kind of think of this, and maybe this is by irrational optimism coming out, but when you think about it, he's 19 and, you know, you go through a terrible injury like this. But the last couple of years, you know, you're playing high school four years nonstop, and then after they got AAU, you're playing summers. Your summers booked, filled, he, and especially with a player like him, just he was known for a long time about how, you know, this guy could be a real game changer for any team when he makes it to the NBA. And then you make it to, to uh, you know, he goes to Duke and you got another six months of basketball and all that stuff. And you really think about it, all the minutes, they, it's not you just the high school stuff, but you add high school, then you add uh, the summer school with, you know, playing like Nike hoop summits. And yeah, stuff like and that. LeBron James camps and things like that. It's, yeah, it's just everything piles on. It's not, you don't really, everybody talks about like NBA minutes, but. For all these players, these players are playing for a long time, but even before they make it to the NBA, and kind of, I think it was kind of like, I'm, I'm, from what I gather from how he said it, it was kind of like a reset for him, and more of a mental uh, thing for him to recover more than physical, because it's obviously you're entering the NBA, and like I said before, it's, it's such a new experience, but then you get when you 
kind of realize, well, I'm going to have to recover and stuff like that, then it get, gets more like, well, how do I change the game mentally? It's not always physically. Obviously, he has a lot of physical tools in his, in his game, but I think from what I can, from what my opinion of his, what he was talking about in quotes today and stuff like that was, he, I feel like he feels the game, the mental side of the game was coming more easier for him and having that time off, even though it was unfortunate, it was incredibly necessary for him to move on. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's definitely, that's a, an interesting way to look at it. And I guess it's something, it feels like something nearly worth keeping an eye on over the next few years because you're right, there's, it doesn't get talked about in that way, but those young guys play a lot of basketball, and a lot of basketball, a lot of exertion of any kind when, when I suppose their bodies are still not fully developed and are still growing. Yeah. Uh, particularly when you're talking about, you're talking about basketball players here. This is not any other sport. These are guys who generally are sort of six and a half feet upwards in height, anywhere <laughs> towards seven feet. As we know, we know well with Yanis just how rapidly uh, people can grow. And Yanis confirmed today, I think, that he's still not quite seven foot. <laughs> he hasn't quite reached that yet. But at the same time, there's been a trend in recent years of players who went pretty high in draft classes either suffering injuries not too long before the draft or not too long after yeah. coming into the NBA. I mean, straight away, jumping out, you'll have the likes of Joel Embiid, obviously, Nerlens Noel, you have Jabari. Um, Alex Len suffered quite a bit with injuries when he first came in. Now, obviously, a common team there is big men. Um, mm. And maybe that says something as well. Jabari isn't exactly small. He's not, not quite the same stature as those guys. But for guys who are seven foot or closer to, to that side of the scales, to be playing that much basketball while their bodies are growing and growing at such a such a fast rate, it's probably not ideal for their for their long term health and fitness. And um, yeah. so that could be that could play a part in what's happened. You're right. Maybe maybe some some time off, even just mentally, um, will will do Jabari the world of good in the end. And um, let's all hope he comes back stronger. Just a couple of other quick book sort of tidbits when it comes to injuries. Um, it's close to all clear, really, for the books, which is great news. It's the way you want to start a season. Um, Damien Inglis is seemingly fit and healthy and ready to have close to full involvement in, in training camp. The one other player... I guess not even the one other player because Jabari we know is going to have some some sort of involvement. But um, Tyler Ennis is the one player with question marks over his health. Still. Of course, he had that hip surgery, I think it was, um, back not too long after the playoffs. Um, as, as far as I know today, he was, he was speaking about feeling like he's very, very close to being back to. Still hasn't had clearance, though, for full contact practice yet. Um, very quickly, how significant could that be for Ennis with just how crowded it is for point guards? We talked about how missing Summer League was actually sort of a big deal for him because it would have given him a chance to shine through. If he doesn't get himself healthy and ready to show what he can do in preseason and training camp, is there a danger that someone could come in really impress and sort of snatch his spot in the roster away from him? 
I think um, I don't. I think we kind of. That's always been, at least for me. I'm, I, <laughs> I don't mean to speak for anybody else, but I think that's always been a lingering doubt in my mind, especially because I, I've always thought highly of Ennis, even though he's you know very inexperienced still. But I just felt like he was kind of thrown in into the fire really early on, right? Or obviously when he came to Milwaukee right away, because MCO was missed a couple of games. And he eventually started a game, I think, because of MCW being hurt or something like that. I can't remember exactly. But, you know, I just think for guys like him, Inglis, JLB, these guys are not going to find many or much playing time if everything goes the way we all think it could go. So you think that any time, you know, summer league and especially preseason games, that's their time to shine. And the fact that he's still not – Cleared is a little, it's a little, you know, it's not a good thing to hear for sure, especially on media day when Trey Camp starts tomorrow. Yeah, like I guess it is to be expected because when you have surgery during the offseason, this is the sort of thing that's going to happen. But it's just with him being a point guard and with that being the position that it really looks like the books need to just offload at least one person. Um, which mm-hmm. I'd be pretty certain they will do. Um, but there's potential there. We we mentioned a little last week about how uh, how fond they seem to be of Marcus Landry. And if they want to make room for another forward, I think the most obvious place to, to shed someone would probably be a guard um, to maybe find a bit more balance just between big men and, and the backcourt and the roster. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. I... I like Ennis. Um, I just feel like what he showed in college even matters. Um, without being a star, he just showed glimpses of someone who he knows how to play basketball. He's a smart player, and that can go a long way from in, in the NBA. So it's definitely in his best interest to get cleared as quickly as possible and try to work his way into into some sort of, I guess, real fitness that he can show what he can do. Um Moving away from Media Day, yes, we're going to talk about something that was announced just before Media Day kicked off. Um, this caught me completely off guard. I don't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting this. Um, I guess it's the latest in a long line of books, pieces of news that have followed that sort of suit. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> The books today added Rod Torn as a special consultant. Now, straight off the bat, special consultant says a lot because that could mean literally anything. It could mean he'll be very involved. It could mean he'll be pretty much non-existent in terms of involvement around the franchise. Um, for those who don't know, though, Rod Torn is a pretty significant figure around the NBA. <laughs> um, if, you, if you're not familiar with some of Rod Torn's previous work most recently and I'm thinking he's maybe no more than a year if even that out of it he was the NBA's president of basketball operations um, basically pretty close to the right hand man to, to Adam Silver um, before that he had been an incredibly successful general manager Notably, and highlights of that being uh, drafting Michael Jordan with the Bulls. Um, <laughs> that'll go right it's, there. Just it's, like, it's, it's not, <laughs> yeah, it's, 
<laughs> it's one of those things, you know, it's not, it wasn't a hard decision to make, but it's still nice to be the guy that has that on your resume. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to say that you were the, the guy who drafted Michael Jordan is, is a nice thing to have. Um, but on top of that, he also, he also had time to handle the 76ers, I think. Yeah, it was the 76ers, and with the Nets. And this is maybe where it's a little bit interesting. Uh, because Rod Thorne was at the Nets during their, I was going to say resurgence, but that's probably not accurate. We'll call it their surgence. Uh, <laughs> because they hadn't been too relevant for, for much of the rest of their history, at least in the NBA otherwise. Um, but of course, when he won NBA Executive of the Year in 0102, Jason Kidd was the man who was the orchestrator on the court for the books. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Have we got yet another Jason Kidd connection? Um, is it is it wrong to read too much into this? Because I guess on one on one level you go, wow, this is another really incredibly smart basketball mind the books have brought in. So much experience, it can only. It can only help to make this brain trust of a front office they're putting together so much stronger again. On the other side of it, for those who feel, well, this is kid's team and he's getting to run it how he wants, this can definitely be viewed as a move that's going to please Jason Kidd or... I don't know. What way do you see it? I guess there's two ways of looking at it. Is it wrong to read into the kid connection here? I don't... I wouldn't disagree with it, but it's also one of those things where it's... When I saw it on Twitter today, I was like, that can't be... That that must be a typo. Because I think, I think what... He recently retired. I think even this past draft, they kind of you know, gave him a little uh, standing ovation or, you know, commemoration for his service or something like that. So then when yeah. you see his name pop up with the team, it's like, is this, you know, is this actually true? You don't really know. It's but, a, uh, it was exactly the same thing as Gus Johnson coming to be yeah. coming to be a, a part of the commentary team. It's just one of those things you're like, well, how does this, where does this come from? What, <laughs> why, why are all these things happening to the books? It's not a bad thing. It's not something you're going to complain about. But it's still, you're just sort of looking for some sort of agenda or something here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just think it's one of those, ever since the new ownership, and it's not, a, I don't think it's a negative. I think you, some people might think it is, but it's just trying to get, raise the profile of the team. Obviously, we've always, we've kind of been saying that for a lot of this summer, and, you know, with the signing of Monroe it's, and just the stadium and this past year, just how it's been kind of a whirlwind. I think it's just another another uh, thing, just in a long line of different decisions that has been made from their the ownership. That it's just trying to raise the profile, trying to make uh, the Bucks the best team that they can, you know, be. Yeah, I think profile is a big, big thing for the ownership right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned this, I think, last week when we talked about the assistant GMs. I might have even written about it in the article at the time. I sort of floated out there as a possibility, aside from sort of logical options, like we really talked about in detail last week. I always felt like because of a lot of the moves they're making, there's a chance that the books could 
bring someone in as an assistant GM who has no real background in terms of front office. And what I mean by that is a player, um, a former player, someone who is a big name and another face to that people can associate with the franchise. And I now feel like if Rod Torn is there in some sort of real capacity to help advise on things, that's probably a greater possibility than ever. And to bring Torn in as your, your specialist or as your guy who's, who's going to advise, that's great because that also works in terms of profile as well, as in those who are clued in the NBA and have followed the league for a long time, they know who Rod Torn is. I'm starting to think, though, I wouldn't be surprised if we have some... You see, let me think even on what type of guy. It could be a former book. Um, they might say... <laughs> they might say, oh, Sidney Moncrief doesn't have a job anymore. Um, That's true. He has some free time now. Um, they, might, they might go that route. Or even if it was someone not necessarily a former book, there's plenty of guys who want to take sort of the Steve Kerr route to get back into the game. Um, I don't know how I'd feel about it. I don't know how smart he'd actually be in that capacity. Probably better than he is at commentating, but say a guy like Reggie Miller has for a long time wanted to get himself into the front office um, and, and maybe move away from broadcasting. And the Bucks might just go, they're like Reggie Miller. Anyone who watched basketball in the 90s knows exactly who Reggie Miller is. And then anybody who's been watching it in the present knows who he is as a commentator. That's just another big profile move. Um, I'm probably a bit off topic here, but I'm starting to wonder just could we see a move like that or is there more moves like that in the team's future, which I don't have a problem with because if you're going to make that move, I like that they're bringing in some real expertise as well and they balance it out. Do those sort of things, do they seem, I guess, feasible to you? Definitely. I mean, I think that's one thing... We've we've obviously touched on this a lot with you know the whole kid him and dynamic, and how you know just the little like it, well if it wasn't for kid you know blah 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 all this stuff wouldn't be happening but if you also you don't want to have a guy have that much power but I just think it's yeah I think ultimately their job is to raise the profile of the team raise the value of the team become a successful organization all that stuff that they they feel like they have that with their players already. So why not do bolster their front office? They, you know, they were obviously, I think, I'm, not, I'm trying to remember who had the ties to the kid in the first place, but I think it was like Lazary maybe. Um, but he, uh, you know, obviously they thought highly of Jason made, to make that move. So everything is just, it, it every move that you, you kind of like think of their tenure, is like a little head scratchy, but right now it's been working. And if their results are paid off, you can't really disagree with you know their method until it doesn't work. You know what I mean? Yeah, it feels like every move though. There's always a there's always a marriage of profile and basketball logic, um, and they're trying to mix the two of them in every case. I mean, that even extends to personnel because. Mm. Michael Carter-Williams was, was Rookie of the Year. 
and people could say it was a terrible class or look at it whatever way they want, but they really traded a guy who was going to be who was on an expiring deal, was good but not great, and they brought a rookie of the year back. And in most draft classes and in most seasons, if any team was to be offered that, they'd say absolutely, definitely. And Michael yeah. Carter Williams, as part of being with the Sixers and them being so bad, I guess he got he got some spotlight and he developed a profile as one of the few guys in that team who could do something. So even that move added profile to the team. Um, I, I think it's clever. I think the way they're doing things, as you said, until it's until it doesn't work, it it, it looks pretty clever. Um, I think in in one way I'd like Torn to have some real involvement. On the other hand, I'd be worried about sort of a too many cooks scenario, um, mm. because we we know Kid definitely has a big say, and you have Hammond there. Ownership are they're vocal in public, and from everything we can see, the it seems they'd be very hands on behind closed doors. Um, so I don't know how many voices are going to come into those conversations and if there's a point where they need to worry about sort of getting a handle on that or maybe they just have it so well defined in terms of an organizational structure that it can all work out. Um, but it was definitely a really surprising move. He's a man who, he's an NBA legend. Um, he's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. He is, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's a Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, yeah. He, he got from the Hall of Fame. So we talk about pedigree, bringing guys in. It doesn't get much higher um, than than Rod Torn. So for a move that just sort of gets announced literally the day before training camp starts, and it's a pretty <laughs> interesting one and could, could turn out to be very significant for the books. Moving on, we've done over the last few weeks, we've broken down the books roster from point guard all the way through to center. And as promised last week to this week, it will be the turn of the coach, Jason Kidd. We'll start with some of the things Jason Kidd said today, because I think they're significant in any conversation we have about him. Once again, this is something that there's two ways of looking at, but Kidd is determined, adamant that he wants to dampen expectations around the team um, and I guess that's fair because the more you stop and think about what they did last year and particularly considering the season there before it was incredible and then it was even more incredible when you consider they did it without the second overall pick the player uh, was supposed to give them the best chance of making any sort of return to, to relevance like they did Um. Today, though, in some of his quotes, Kid just sounded like he's trying really hard to, <laughs> to just get a handle on expectations. And that's interesting because, I don't know, we'll talk about this in a second, but right now I actually don't think expectations are that high relatively to what this team's ability is. I don't think they're completely sort of disproportionate. Um, what Kid said today, he was asked... How would he handle success? Um, he said, for us, there will be high expectations because of making the playoffs. 
We have to learn how to handle high expectations. We did well handling no expectations. We're going to go through our growing pains because when you become a team consistently in, consistently in this league, expectations get higher. Um, then he was asked about expectations again a little bit later. And he said, that's just winning. It comes with winning. We have to embrace it and not run from it and enjoy the experience at the moment. There's going to be ups and downs. What do you think about the way Kid is putting this out there? I guess what I'm getting at, it's fair to to just make sure that people don't get completely carried away and think, well, this is the year the books are going to go and win their second championship because that's not the case. But at the same time, <laughs> is there a little bit of Kid just trying to lay the groundwork in a way to sort of protect his own back here? I mean, he wouldn't be unreasonable if he was a little bit concerned that he may not be able to repeat, I guess, the surprising success of last year um, or make a jump to the equivalent of that sort of in line with this year's expectations. Yeah, I think it's he's kind of playing both ends of the spectrum. I would agree with that. I think it's one of those things, too, that, you know, we – said this time and time again this since the start of this podcast, you know, coming from a team that no one really had expectations for them to be successful from the get-go and then find themselves 30 and, what, 23 at the All-Star break. Straight away, you know, whatever you thought of Knight, he was the, the guy that contributed the most to the success. Maybe it, he, it wasn't – to what everybody liked, but you still trade away that some someone that contributed greatly to the team, and then bring in a guy that really was, you know, at a where he was coming from was at a total different wavelength than what the Bucks are coming to. So I just feel like with that move, then you know you lose the guy, key veterans that, yeah, maybe it was a little overachieving, but these there were results nonetheless, and. You get another guy that he has never been in playoffs. He's been a good contributor for the Pistons, but he's still going to be have to or get used to uh, playing a new system and all that stuff. And then trying to find who's going to step up and lead the team on the court. Obviously, Kid. I think no one would disagree with this: is that Kid is the lead of the team by far. But that only goes so far until when you play. And try to, you know, find out that voice. If you're down by two with, you know, 30 seconds to go, who's going to take that last shot? All these little things that kind of play into the season that no one really thinks about until the season starts. I think he's I – th- I don't disagree with what he's doing, honestly. I think he's trying to say, you know, we're still a young team trying to figure out how to how to win. We haven't – how they won, they, they lost, like you said, they lost Parker. He was – he wasn't a part of the the uh, the like the one they were winning the most. So trying to there's so many different factors at play and just you know it's a whole hullabaloo of stuff that you have to get used to. And I think it's kind of the way to go. It's I don't think I don't think I don't know. Yeah, that's the that's the thing that kind of is curious is I think maybe he's overplaying that expectations are too high. But to you and me, I don't think we're or even anybody at our site, I don't think expectations are really high at the Bucks to begin with. Well, I think 
to the point of like of like a second seed. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. I mean, and it's like I think most expectations, even from really hardcore books fans, is if everything clicked, they might win fifty games. Mm-hmm. And I'd be on the side of thinking, well, everything could click, and that could be possible. But there's no beyond that. I don't. There's not people talking about conference finals or anything. And it would be one thing for the team to have a great regular season and even surpass that sort of mark. But no one's talking about this team making a really deep run just yet. And if it happened, it would be one of those cases. And this can happen at times that it was just by accident. And um, but yeah, that definitely. To what I what I think is from the outside, I think people are playing down the book so much as well. It's like that people don't realize. I don't know. It gets thrown out there that the books added Greg Monroe, but is that enough to hold off whatever improvements elsewhere? The return of Paul George for the Pacers, things like this, and that completely ignores the fact that the books that people are comparing them to from last year also didn't have Jabari Parker. So if Jabari Parker comes back fully healthy, they haven't just added Greg Monroe. They've added Greg Monroe and Jabari Parker. And Mm -hmm. how many teams in the NBA have added two players of that caliber this summer? Not a whole lot. You might have some teams that have won, but I don't know if there's another team that have added two players that could potentially perform to the standard that those guys have in them. Um, So... I think the books are actually going to come in a little under the radar. Maybe not as much from their own fans, although I don't think they've some sort of stifling expectation. But definitely a national or general media sense. People like the books. They think they're going to be a fun team. I'm not sure how many people are convinced they're going to be really, really good. That's maybe what I'm finding a little uncomfortable or a little strange about Kid at the moment is I don't think he needs to downplay it that much. In some ways, maybe talk it up a little bit more, not to any sort of crazy level, but just continue to make everyone aware of how good these talented young players are. You can mm-hmm. you can build it in that way that we're not there right now, but these guys are so good, and you can see the growth, you can see the development, we can see where our plan is going, and build it up in that way in terms of this team is really good in the larger picture. Um that's the question I'd have about Kid. Where, in terms of the hierarchy of NBA coaches, where does Kid sit for you? What level do you think he's at in terms of a coaching mind in the league? That's a really good question. I, I mean, I, I maybe I think of really highly of him, but I just think that he's. He's close to be in the top five, and I don't think it's. I to preface that, I don't, or to explain more on that, I think it's more. What I see in kids is that it's his willingness to change that really strikes a chord with me. Is that you know they're forty-one, forty-one. We can talk about all their flaws and all their strengths. They're a strong defensive team, but they they were an efficient shooting team. But obviously, their biggest flaw was outside shooting. This offseason, from the get-go, he said, we got to find outside shooters. And even though, yeah, we lost Dudley and Ursan, still bring back, or you still get Vasquez, you draft Vaughn, and uh, Copeland, hopefully, if he can reach you know the levels a couple years ago. And not only that, you see the 
you bring back up Middleton, who obviously shot the lights out last year for the team, and Giannis to MCW. Maybe they're maybe they're not 40% shooters, but at least they could be. I think sides are pointing that they could be at least capable shooters, at least to add that to their game. And, and then with Monroe, I think that's the the biggest thing about it is that he filled the need that you know they were not that good of a rebounding team. And they were not that good in the low post. They were really good at driving the, to the hoop. But no, not even Zaza. Hanson, I guess, was their best, maybe. But that wasn't, you know, I don't think anybody would be confident in saying John Hanson's a strong low post scorer. So getting Monroe with not only the rebounding side of it, but his low post skills along with that, he has everything. He, The Bucks have addressed all their issues. It's just a matter of can all these players come together now and keep on developing, not make it a one-year wonder with some of the players. You know what I mean? So is it that sort of fearlessness or that adaptability? Is that what you'd put down as his greatest strength? Is that what pushes him in towards that top five mix for you? That, and I just think maybe, well, obviously there's a lot of good leaders and coaches. You have to be a good leader to be a coach, but I think, you know, there's a lot of things we may kind of scratch our heads towards, but you know, especially when later, or what was it, when Giannis got or sat a game out of the blue, and everybody's thinking like, what was going on about that? But he's just trying to lead by example, and maybe um, it's not, it's more off the court, but just the fact that he's he showed up at all these important meetings of, regarding the arena, just that, like that stuff is. I mean, for the Bucks at least, that would be unheard of if, if you said that, you know, a couple of years ago with any other coaches. The, the fact that he's takes such a, you know, so much time. Obviously, it's his job, but he takes so much time off the court on off the court issues as well as on the court that kind of struck a chord with me and how much he is starting to mean to the team. And I don't think I don't think anybody would have figured or would have really. Uh, thought of him that way, especially when he was hired. Everybody was, that was just another thing. I'm just like, what is going on? What is, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, for me, and I've got on the record with this before, and I'll do it again. I think Kidd has done a great job, a really great job. I'm just yet to still be convinced that he's a great coach. He's definitely a good coach, um, but that's an important differentiation. I think his greatest strength is his understanding of his job, of how an NBA organization works. And I think the way that comes out best for him is with his players, and that's knowing how and when to push their buttons. Um, He knows just when it's a little bit too much and he needs to back off. And he knows when he needs to be really hard on the guys. And that's why... As much as some of the things he says sound strange to me and dampening expectations, all in all, I trust him in that sense because he's been on the other side of that coin. And that's an insight that, of course, lots of NBA coaches have, but not many of them played to quite the standard that Kid did. Um, there's a few things with that. From, the, from a basketball standpoint, I'm just yet to be convinced by him on the coaching side. And... There's two ways that can work. One could be one could be that he's just not the smartest basketball mind around. And 
I don't think that's the case because we all remember what Jason Kidd was like as a player. Another part of that, though, and this could be a struggle that he has and I guess has to fight with throughout the course of his seasons and I guess eventually his, his whole career as a coach. For someone who was as good a floor general as he was, and you mentioned how he can adapt to situations, there's a big difference between having to draw up the play to score then being handed the keys and told, here's the play to score, but you're in charge. Mm-hmm. And with a point guard like Kid, his coach will give him a play, he'll go, he'll look to run the play, but if he didn't feel it was working, he's the guy who's going to change it up. And it was his quick thinking or his decision-making that could make all the difference. When you're in the spot where you're, you're drawing up the play and you're drawing it up as you see it, but then if it doesn't go to plan, it's out of your hands, that makes things a little bit different and that I guess could make him second guess himself at times. There's just so many occasions where Jason Kidd plays in tight games, but not even that just in, in the most mundane sort of Tuesday night, meaningless game that the books had last season, his work say after timeouts never really struck me as good at all. In a lot of ways, the, the books could look more disorganized after they'd stopped, regrouped, and tried to put something together than they did in a natural flow. And maybe that's just the personalities of the team or the energy that, that a young team like that has. That's what I wrestle with when I think of Kid, though. It's just, I don't think he knows yet quite how, or if he knows he hasn't managed to fully implement it, how to balance his own basketball know-how in terms of how to play the game how to win games how to how to be great in the nba with a lot of the other side of things and it's not that he's bad at any of it it's just i don't think he's found a way to make it all click yet and look that's great news for the books because if they can perform as well as they did last year under those circumstances with kid who hasn't quite figured it out if he can figure it out, well, then you have got a great coach. Uh, right now, I just don't think he's there. And they're still sort of, I feel he's still at a crossroads. And that sounds wrong or sounds sort of unduly harsh on him. But I don't mean it in any way to be critical. I just feel like we've got a lot to still see from Kid. And as much as there's great development work being done by him and I'll emphasize as I have before, also by his staff, and I think that's a really important factor, yeah. um, particularly Sean Sweeney. There has to be the balance. We have to see this year improvements from kids in play. And I mentioned this before as well. It's a question that I've asked myself. The play for me that stands out as probably the best, um, the best books play of the season was the Jared Bayless game winner against the Bulls. Yeah. Definitely. And you can look at that a hundred times. You can listen to what the players said at the time. Um, I don't think Kid drew that up. Oh, no, I don't think and, so either. And the thing with that is, if Kid did draw it up, he was absolutely insane um, to say, <laughs> Jared Dudley, you have to throw this absolute bullet of a pass. It's got to be inch perfect over, uh, I think it was Joachim Noah's head. 
and find Bayless under the rim where Derrick Rose is suddenly going to fall asleep. Mm, and yeah. that's the perfect example of the struggle of implementing that because Jared Dudley is a player with similar basketball IQ to Kid, really, really smart guy. And Kid could draw up a play, but when the ball was in his hands, he had control of it. And that's what Kid has to adjust to still because he's still very new to this coaching game. Um, but that's he can drop the play all he wants, but the ball isn't his, in his hands when the clock goes live again. Um, do you think that's fair? Am I being harsh or maybe a little bit skeptical or cynical on what way, on how kid is perceived? I guess I understand. I understand the instinct to sort of swell towards kid because, as you said, he's. He's done so much for the franchise overall off the court. We're talking about profile. Well, he was the first really high profile guy who came in for the ownership and he came in before it was in any way fashionable or logical, really. He was coming into the worst team <laughs> in the league pretty much. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you see where I'm coming from on that though? That oh, yeah. he has a lot to prove in terms of in real game time. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you know, this is going to be his third year, and I think it's obviously his most important one because, you know, I think because he was the profile that came with him. Again, we're using pro, I'm using the word profile, but he was a profile hire when he was hired in Brooklyn. Everybody, it was another one of those things where everybody's like, okay, like, can this translate? Is he a good coach? He's obviously a smart basketball player. But can he do that right away without even having time to activate from it? I mean, he literally just retired, you know, the month before or something like that, and then he gets hired by the Nets. And as well as things that I think, too, because it started off so badly, everybody was talking about him, you know, obviously the everybody thought they were going to be at least a you know competitor to the Heat that year. I don't think I'm saying th something out of school. I think it w there are some people that were banging the drum that, hey, it's going to be a Brooklyn-Miami Eastern Conference Finals market bound on the calendar kind of thing. And the fact that it started off so badly and he spills the drink on the court, you know, hitting – I can't remember what player it was, but, yeah, something – it was just such a ridiculous thing. And then when he called the decision, I think it was Lawrence Frank, he kind of just – put him out to dry, hung out to dry and just said, I want to, I got to take ownership of the, of my side of the, or my job and, you know, try to rebound. And Brooklyn for that second half of the year, they're a really good team. Obviously a lot of older players and they did it. I think they got shot by the heat or something like that. But I think to come to Milwaukee, that was another, just like, why, why would you ever come here? Like no one wants to come here kind of thing. And I think, Again, it took everybody by surprise about how good he was right away. And all the players that didn't buy in with Larry Drew bought him a kid right away. And just the adversity that they had to go through, obviously Parker, but Sanders losing night, getting MCW, playing with eight guys for the most of February, March. You know, it was not a pretty season at all last year, but somehow they were 41 and 41. And I think – you know, a lot of it goes to his credit. Understandably so, because, the, you know, I think it was – I think everybody would say, well, it's not the whole team. It's just – the whole team is greater than the sum of its parts. And now that we 
I I would feel like the team has the some of the some of its parts are a lot better than the whole of the team or the whole team. That it's, there's got to be a balance, and you're still trying to figure out. Well, he rose or he affected the team's defensive side, but you can't really say that about the team's offense. And I think a lot of people are going to look at the team's offense this year. It's, can he do what he did with the team's defense last year, but with the offense this year? And I would just add with individual players too. Yeah, and so much attention has been put on to say player X needs to develop Y part of his game and the learning curves in so many ways. I, I think kid might have the steepest learning curve still. And this might be the devil's advocate of me again. But in many ways, I feel like last year was almost a rookie season for kid because yeah. part of me, once again, is skeptical as to how much the turnaround in Brooklyn was down to him or was down to say the firing of, of Lawrence Frank. Because in many ways, I feel a lot of the guys who were in that locker room, one way or another, eventually were going to get it together. And there was lots of talk, particularly when some of those guys left, that, okay, this player didn't influence the team positively in this way or that way. I still think there were so many winners in that locker room that at one point or another, they were going to take control of the situation and find a way to get some wins out of it. And that's what happened. Um, of course, Kid played a role in that, but I mean, he wasn't telling Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce to sit quietly in the corner, and this is how we're going to do things now, and that's going to result in wins. And yeah. that's, that's what made his decision to go to Milwaukee so incredible because I guess it was a move to distance himself from guys like that altogether. And as much as we've talked about the, the veterans who were with the team last year, in comparison to what Kid had in Brooklyn. There's no comparison. Mm-hmm. You're talking about different worlds in, in terms of levels of NBA experience. I mean, we talk about Zaza being a veteran. Well, yeah, Zaza had many years on the bench in Atlanta where <laughs> Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett were winning a title in Boston. So <laughs> it is completely different ends of the spectrum. And for me, that's last year was, was almost a learning experience for a kid. And that is why, say, for example, the offense of the team is so important this year. I want to, and I feel like I need to see some growth from Kid in that sense, that the team gets better on offense. And it's funny because this is the way we look at the game. We put so much thought and analysis into players. But if the books come out this year and their offense actually turns out to be really good, well, of course, the first thing that everyone will go to is, oh, well, Greg Monroe was the missing piece and they needed a low post presence. Or Michael Carter-Williams or Yanis can now make a three-point shot occasionally and that's that's giving them better spacing. A big part in that is going to be Kid, And it mm. has to be Kid. It's got to come from him. He's got to find a coherent way to play on offense and give his players options. Because there was times last year where it didn't look like they had a first option. And if they had a first option, if they had a second option, there was definitely no third option. And it's nearly the bigger the the playbook becomes for this team and the more they feel they can, the more ways they feel like they can beat teams, no matter what caliber, whether it's the best or the worst teams around the league, that's when they can start to take the step up to the next level. And that's when it really starts to make the difference. So it is. It's definitely for kid. It's going to be a big year. It's going to be interesting to see how much he grows. No doubt, and he's 
did a great job last year. Um, if it wasn't for the Hawks hitting 60 wins, if they'd come in at 55 wins even, I don't know. I think Kidd would have been in with a real shout for a coach of the year. It was impossible not to give it to Budenholzer at 60 wins. Um, but what he achieved with the books was incredible. I'm just still waiting to see him really show himself as a coach. Um, there's so many aspects of his game that you can't argue with. So much of what he brings to the table as a coach, but still in game with actual adjustments. I'm still waiting to see a little bit of the Jason Kidd that we saw for so long on the court. Um, so let's hope that that translates across. Just before we finish up, we're going to go to the mailbag. And when I say we're going to go to the mailbag, there's not a lot here. In fact, there's nothing here. Um, there's one person here, and I mean, I don't know, Jordan, I don't think he really counts. <laughs> the one and only entry in the mailbag this week is big time Ty Windish who <laughs> couldn't make it out tonight to be a part of our podcast um, this is this is for those of you who haven't picked up on Ty's slightly egotistical nature already this, this will give it it's give you a better itself. idea I mean it, it'll come into a complete focus so our first mailbag question is how are you going to cope without the man known for giving people what they want? At Ty Windish. So he actually, he mentioned... Oh my God, that's disturbing. In tweet. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know what sort of psychopath mentions themselves in the tweet. Just in case anyone saw it and they didn't already <coughs> notice his, his handle or they saw it without already following him. As I don't know who was retweeting it, so I don't even know how that's possible. But... I don't know. He decided to to mention himself in his own tweet about himself. That's Ty Windish in a nutshell, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, to move on to his real question, uh, it's one we'll, we'll touch on briefly. He asks, who's the best chance of being a good NBA player? Tyler Ennis, Johnny O'Brien, or Damian Inglis? Ooh. I think I'm gonna go with Inglis. I think uh, I uh, I just think with his I think with obviously his injury derailed what could have been a good or at least have him see some time on the court. But I think what he brings is really it's not different from like what Giannis brings. He has like you know kind of that similar profile and. Obviously, this is a couple of years ago, so it's going to be hard to see if he can adjust to it. But uh, is this seriously the question? Is it? That's that's Ty's question. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought I thought it was like a joke at first. Right, no, no, Ty has asked the question for the mailbag. I'll go with I'll go with English. I don't know why I, I second guessed that. <laughs> I'm. I I can't even consider English as part of the question because he's not. We haven't seen him. I mean, he's basically not real at this point. <laughs> we've seen him, we've play, seen him play in summer league. That's the only reason we know that he's not sort of imaginary or not actually a basketball player at all. Um, <laughs> and he doesn't have a workout video like Job. He doesn't have a workout video like Job. 
Um, <coughs> at the risk of being ridiculed, I'm going to go Johnny O'Brien. Um, I don't think Johnny O'Brien. I, th- I think the wording of the question is important. And Ty asked, who has the best chance of being a good NBA player? And I think that's Johnny O'Brien. I think he probably has the worst chance of being a great NBA player or the best NBA player of those three. But I think he's a, he's starting to feel like a safer bet to be a rotational player to me. And that's only because the more I think of as, as bad as many people saw him as last year, he was playing as a second round pick. As a rookie, he was playing. He was starting games in the NBA. That's really good experience. And if that amounts to him being no more than a guy who comes in off the bench and contributes a few minutes here or there, well, that's a journeyman career. I mean, that's you could guys guys make a lot of money and can make a big impact out of that. So I think best chance of being a good NBA player right now, I think Johnny O'Brien, because I feel like he knows who he is. Everyone else can sort of see who he is. He's never going to be. He's never going to be a world beater in any sense of the world. Um, I don't think so. I'd be unless that workout video just is real. Um, I, I that's not going to that's not going to figure. I mean, Ennis has more potential. Inglis might have more potential. I, I really find it so tough to talk about Inglis still. Um, who knows? We might only be. This, this is going out on Tuesday, and by the time most of you listen to this, we might only be just over a week away from seeing Inglis play again um, in the opening game of preseason against the Bulls. And maybe when he starts to play, then I can buy in um, on a lot of the numbers in terms of his wingspan, a lot of the other similarities with Giannis. But right now, I think Johnny O'Brien is hes the easiest to see his trajectory. I know Johnny O'Brien's going to be, and I think he'll be solid. He'll be a good NBA role player. Um, I'd like to note that I'm disappointed that we didn't have a question this week from our our most regular podcast listener and definitely the person who submits the most questions to us, and that's, that's our friend Pencil. But the reason I'm particularly disappointed we didn't have one this week was because we have a podcast without tie. We had a chance to do a pencil question without a pencil pun. And almost as if he knew, he just, he withheld. He withdrew from from his podcast question submissions. And probably the next time we're going to get there, Ty will be back and we'll have more funny pen, pencil, marker jokes. How lucky are we? Um, that's of course if Ty can find time over his busy schedule to join us again um, I think that's pretty much it I'm going to wrap it up, we're going to let Jordan go because the Packers game has started and <laughs> Jordan has very very kindly graced grace with your presence so as all of you are watching the Packers game Jordan has missed the start, I can see the score here, I don't know if he knows anything so I'm not going to say anything no, he doesn't know anything so I'll leave it as a, I'll leave it as a surprise for him uh, but make sure to check out on Thursday our final divisional preview podcast will post and that of course will be the book's very own central division um, so if you haven't listened to any of them up till now 
pretty sure that's the one you want to listen to. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Thanks very much for listening. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud. Read all our articles on site. Thank you for joining me, Jordan. Thank you. We'll be back. Um, at least the two of us. Who knows? 